Now, what's interesting is that last week I felt very confident in giving a message about what was coming in this season. And before I came out here to preach, I actually, uh, as I was preparing my message, sometimes I rabbit trail a little bit, and I saw that my friend Chris Reed was uh, live at Morningstar preaching his sermon. And sometimes on Sunday morning when I'm preparing, I'll just jump on there for a second just to hear his subject, you know, or uh, usually like I'll listen for 60 seconds. Maybe I'll listen later if, it, if, if something caught me. But for some reason, I found myself listening to the whole of the message. And it had nothing to do with what I was talking about that morning. And I thought to myself, he, he, the Lord had woken him up and changed his entire message that morning. And I'm like, oof, his church is going through something if he's talking about this. And the Lord changed it. Uh, and little did I know, and I thought to myself, this has nothing to do with, with what's happening in my church right now. My church uh, knows how to behave themselves. My church is mature. My people handle themselves as mature sons and daughters of the king. The, they, these people are royalty. They know what's up. These are priests, a holy nation, set apart, righteous, walking in alignment, thick-skinned. That's, I said, okay, cool. All right, I got some good people. We'll just lean into what I'm preaching. And then as soon as my sermon was over, everybody suddenly had razor-thin epidermis showing. That's skin for some of you, uh, you know, non-scientific minded. Um, they had the, the and, and all of a sudden, I was bombarded all week by constant... Uh, uh, I, yeah, a barrage would be a good word, an assault, a, a, a siege of offense that was happening. Not just at me, at everyone. They were offended at them. They were offended at them for being offended. They were offended at them for being offended that they were offended. And there was just an overwhelming offense. Everyone came to me and like, I am upset and my feelings are hurt. They were offended at me, they were offended at you, they were offended at them. They didn't even know who they were offended at, but by golly, they were offended and somebody was to blame. You ever been there? I'm just really upset. Why? I don't know, but there's a reason. And I'm going to figure it out. Okay? You know when you're in offense, when you're offended over the devil. The devil is really offending me this week. I'm just very hurt. If you want to have a conversation with the devil about his offense... We might need to educate you a little bit. So when, when Chris was talking about that, I realized, oh my gosh, we're walking into something. So what is this? So I want to talk to you and I want to give you a sermon this morning that is slightly offensive. Amen? I'm going to give you an opportunity to get over your offense. Everyone always says, don't pray for patience, right? I pray for patience. You know why? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit and I want everything that's fruitful. I'm not looking to bypass everything that God has for me. I don't want to walk in less because climbing is difficult. I want to grab hold of everything that God has for me. I want to raise up to the standard God has for me, and I don't want to tap out because the climb is difficult. Amen? So as I talked about the end times and I began to look into this subject matter for you today, uh, Matthew 24.10. Matthew 24.10 is that 24 is the verse in the Bible that covers when the disciples ask Jesus, when are you coming back? So it deals with eschatology, end time theology. Okay? It deals with the idea of what we should look for for when Jesus is coming back. And I think that would be a good jump-off point from last week. And so Matthew 24.10 says it like this. 
Jesus had just spoken and said, hey, there's going to be earthquakes. I'm not coming back. There's going to be wars. I'm not coming back. And then he says, but then you will see them begin to kill you for your faith. And we jump into 10. And then shall many be offended. Say offended. Woo! And shall betray one another and shall hate one another. So a sign that we are near the times is the level of offense that is spreading through the earth. Before we ever get to betrayal, before we get to hate, we have offense step in as the very first thing that gets us to betrayal, that gets us to hate. So offense will always lead to a betrayal. Betrayal will always lead to hate. And hate will rob you of your destiny. Amen? It is in direct contrast with who God is and what his great command is. So one of the most potent weapons that Satan uses in these last days is to steal people's destiny and destroy their lives. He uses the weapon of offense. See, we forget a lot of times that demonic forces have their own armor. See, they got a helmet of offense. They got a breastplate of unrighteousness. They got a hammer of judgment. There are things that the enemy carries as weapons in his tool belt in his arsenal to attack you. But I believe one of those greatest ones is the fact that it is an offense. I want to give you the definition, my definition, of offense. Overthought, uh, overthought feelings falsely empowering noticeable disunity, enabling disengagement. Let me say that one more time. That's a mouthful, okay? Overthought feelings falsely empowering noticeable disunity, enabling disengagement. The idea of offense is always that it causes disunity. It causes us to not be in alignment and agreement with one another. And the lack of unity will always bring a disengagement, always bring a retreat. It always bring a separation. And the idea of the enemy is the oldest war strategy, divide and conquer. How does he do it? Well, one of his best tools is offense. One of his best tools is to get you upset is to make you think that your brother or your sister is not for you. That they're out to get you. And when offense sets in, he can cause disunity. Now, the word offense actually comes from the Greek word scandalum. Scandalum. We also get scandalous from that. Scandalum. The word means a snare, a noose, or a trap. It also means something that makes someone stumble or fall into a scandalous act, okay? So the enemy lays a trap called offense for our lives, and if we will walk into it, he can grab hold of it and stop us from proceeding into the destiny that God has laid for us. You want to stop your path forward into victory. If you want to stop and be stuck in the place you're at now, I can guarantee you the best way to do that is to be offended. Now, you notice so far, I haven't said you don't have a reason to be offended, did I? Now, offense can be false, or sometimes it can be true. Sometimes we can be rude to one another. Sometimes it can be misunderstood thoughts, misperceived or miscommunications. But the reality is offense remains as long as we are unwilling to communicate the offense to somebody else. And trust me, 
It's 100% of the time, always, every time, the enemy. The Bible says that if your brother has done something against you, go to your brother. If you have not, you are an offense. I'm going to give you a couple of ways that you're an offense here in a minute, but I want to talk to you about that. But there are places that allow offense into our lives, that allow it to actually root into our lives. Uh, offense, uh, one of those is pride. One of those is when we are in assumption, when we assume what was meant. Instead of having clarity, we walk by assumption. Well, I think this is what they meant. I think this is what happened. Or I heard through another person, this is what was said. And so we go on that assumption. We go on that thought about, well, I think this is why. And we take an offense that steals a relationship with us that was meant to be a part of the army that was going to take us into victory. Another one is gossip. When somebody else wants to talk smack on you. I'm telling you right now, gossip will destroy a church, a family, a relationship faster than anything else. And gossip is not defined as false. Gossip is defined as something that is meant to put a wedge. It does not bring healing. It does not bring reconciliation. Jesus called us to the ministry of reconciliation. And gossip never brings reconciliation. It always brings division. Insecurity will lead to your offense. When you are insecure, you will filter through that insecurity and believe that somebody does not have your best in mind. Can I just say this? I said pride earlier, right? Pride and insecurity are not different things. They are both pride because they are both about you. They are both you looking at you. It's all about your character, your nature, your skill set. Your eyes are on your talents. Whether you believe bad about them or good about them, they are a form of pride because it is still about you. And the last one there is emotionalism. Emotionalism will lead to your offense. When you allow your emotions to have complete control of you, you are operating in emotionalism. Can I just tell you, don't talk about your problems late at night when you are tired. You notice how that wasn't a joke and every one of you laughed? I am a keen observer of human interaction and I can tell right there, a lot of you like, oops. That was the, <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying right now. Like, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. All right, do not talk about your issues. Do not pick the moment that you are the most tired, that you are the most broken down and you just need a nap, you big baby, okay? <laughs> to talk about your problems. Guess what? Five-year-olds need a nap, and sometimes I want to be a five-year-old. I'm taking a nap. I'm, I need a nap is a, relevant, is a good excuse. Come on. Five-year-olds will fight you on a nap. A 50-year-old will beg for one. Okay, there is a difference, right? And you act like we don't, they don't need it. We need it. So I want to read you a scripture here. I want to read you a scripture out of Psalms 119. I'm going to jump around a little bit, and I'm going to try to make this um, I, I'm just going to say this. I, I think that this is a really important word that I have today. I've, I'm not just preaching a word that sounds good, that you go, dang, that was good. I think this is desperately needed for the body of Christ. I think it's desperately needed for our church body. I think it's desperately needed in this season. And so I'm not going to shortchange you. If you are desperately hungry, bring a snack. Like, I'm not mad. All right? But 
this is food for your soul. So I'm not going to shortchange the message today. I looked at whether I could break this up into two, but I'm just going to press on and see what we can get through today because I feel like this is going to bring uh, water to your dry soul. Psalms 119. This is the longest psalm in the Bible. While you turn there, I'll give you a second. Psalms 119. It is the longest psalm in the, the Bible. And what's interesting about this psalm in particular is that it's written in a very unique way, if you didn't know, that each part of this psalm uh, is each beginning verse starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet for a series of verses. So it starts with the A, then the B, then the C, right? It, it goes, so there'll be a series of alf, and then there's a series of bet, like there's a series of these letters, each one in succession. It's a beautiful poetic psalm, and it is the longest, and it goes through blocks that represent that letter all the way through the entire alphabet. That's why it's so long. And while uh, there is no author definitively attached, there are lots of reasons to very concretely believe that this was written by King David. There's lots of language in the psalm. I won't go through all of that, but there's a lot of a language in this psalm that, date, that w the psalms that we know David wrote, he uses the exact same language here. So he uses the same terminology like my servant. He calls himself a servant which is not heard in any other Psalms not written by David. And so there's like five or six different uh, uh, phrases in here that David writes in Psalms that he wrote. So we can pretty well accurately, even though it doesn't have an author on the original manuscript, tell that David wrote this Psalm. And so I think out of everyone, why is that relevant? Because I think out of everyone, if there's somebody that wants to talk to us about not being offended, it might be David. David, the one that had to encourage himself in the Lord. David, the one whose son ran him out of his own kingdom and he hid in a cave. Not the first time. See, his own, his own stepfather ran him, uh, his father-in-law ran him into a cave as well. David hid in a cave from a man that was supposed to be his spiritual father and his mentor. David hid in a cave from his own son. This man might know what offense looks like. Amen? So if anybody has a right to be offended, it might be him. Your right to be offended is keeping you from your future. So this is what it says. Now, so when we get to, I'm, we're going to start at verse 161. And so when we get to 161, we begin the letter of shin. Now, this is the sh sound in Hebrew. Now, some, some things that, so understand that each one of these verses, uh, the, the, the Bible was not written in chapter and verse, except in Psalm. Psalm is the only one in, in the Bible that was written in, cha in, in chapter and verse because they're each individual psalms and they each have uh, lines, okay? Like a poetry line. And so this section, 161 through 168, are all begin with the letter shin. Um, now, the, the letter shin is the sh sound, like I said, and there are words that begin with the letter shin that you may be familiar with. One of them would be Shaddai, as in El Shaddai, the name of God. Another one would be Shalom, peace. So there are several words that begin with these words, and we'll go through them. But in Psalms 161 through 168, we actually get some understanding of what it looks like to walk in offense and how to get free from it. So let's see if we can read that. Amen? So here's what it says. It says, Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. Anybody in here feel like they've been 
persecuted by any leadership that should have been helping and supporting them, but instead they were persecuted. It doesn't say that beggars in the street persecuted. It says princes persecuted them. Leaders, men of integrity, men of stature, uh, and, and they're being per persecuted. So that's one of the reasons we know that this is probably David. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day, I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those that love your law. And nothing, say nothing, shall offend them. One more time, great peace have those who love your law and nothing shall offend them. The sign of someone who loves the Lord's law, who loves the word, who is walking in peace is that nothing shall offend them. We are not called to be offendable. We are called to be unoffendable. Can someone say amen? 166 through 168 says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. That ends the series of Shen. Now, what's interesting about that letter, Shen, is that, like I said, it's the, it's the first letter of El Shaddai, a name of God, which we would translate in our Bible as God Almighty. But that's not what Shen actually uh, that word Shaddai actually means, okay? We don't really have a good phraseology for the word Shaddai. In fact, it comes from the root. Uh, part of that is the word Shad, as in Shaddai, S-H-A-D, meaning to destroy. Shad means to destroy. And we first see this, him called El Shaddai, in Genesis chapter 17, when he's making a covenant with Abraham himself. So we see God come in and say, I am El Shaddai and I shall make a covenant with you. And he begins to give him a promise for his future. Okay, a better phraseology than God Almighty might be uh, God overpowered. One in which will overpower you. But later on, we actually see Isaiah say he's going to destroy the cities, O El Shaddai, the God of destruction. Okay, but we have to understand that. He didn't introduce himself to Abraham and say, I am the God of destruction and I'll give you a future. That doesn't make any sense. So we have to rephrase the way we understand the word Shaddai. And what it really means is this. It's at the moment where he empowers his presence to see Abram die and births Abraham instead, the father of a nation. He puts to rest the old image, the old flesh of who Abram was and gives a promise of a future. It is the moment of transformation. It's the moment where the old dies and the new becomes alive. Amen? Can we see that in the New Testament? It is the moment of baptismo. It's the moment of baptism. It's the moment of new life that comes in because behold, all things have passed away and I make all things new. He's the God that makes things new. So it is not almighty. It's a poor rendition of that. It's the moment God becomes the transformer. Our flesh is destroyed as we die and we are made new. It's the first word for shalom, like I said, peace. And it's also the first letter, excuse me, for Shekinah. 
And everybody heard that word before, Shekinah glory, his Shekinah glory, which is translated sometimes as the face of God. And I behold the face, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God. What that means, Shekinah, the definition for Shekinah is the majestic presence or manifestation of God, which has uh, described to dwell among men. So Shekinah is the presence of God dwelling amongst man. The face of God, the presence of God, the glory of God, the cloud coming in. Jesus is the presence of God dwelling amongst men. So this word, this letter, shin, becomes a powerful representation of this, of this, of this idea of peace, of this idea of his presence, of his manifest presence. In fact, it was so well known, so well known, that it actually became a part of our pop culture. In fact, rabbis would many times, they would make a, a hand motion with their hand to represent the blessing of El Shaddai. And they would put their hands in, in a triangle. And I can't do the other part of that, but they put their hands in a triangle and they would make a, a hand motion that looked like the letter El Shaddai. The letter El Shaddai has three points. Okay, and they're divided into three points, and they would make this. In fact, it was so popular that many of you have seen the priestly blessing when a priest would raise his hand and bless the people, make his face shine upon you. When, when they would say that, the priestly blessing, they would make this hand symbol that has been made popular by popular culture in Star Trek. You, you see his live long and prosper sign. I can't do it. I can't do it. But yeah, some of you can do it, right? Live long and prosper. See, uh, if you didn't know this, Leonard Nimoy was a Jew. And his parents, actually, he had to learn how to speak Yiddish in order to communicate with his grandparents. And he had watched in synagogue as, as the priests would pray a prayer over people and they would make that symbol with their hands and pray the priestly blessing. Yes, that's it. Rachel's doing it perfectly. Would pray the priestly... Stand up here so the camera can see you. She, she'll make it. I, can, I, can't, I'm, I can't priestly bless you. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know why my fingers don't move that way. They just don't. Thank you, honey. So she's a better illustration than I am anyway. So, so the priestly blessing was prayed. And Leonard Nimoy incorporated that into Star Trek. He actually has given interviews. It wasn't an accident or like, oh, I didn't even realize I was making the letter Shem. He knew very much that he was incorporating the letter Shem into live long and prosper. How cool is that? Isn't that interesting? Nerds of the world are so excited right now. <laughs> I warned Chris ahead of time. I was like, Chris, don't lose your cookies. When I give a Star Trek reference, I know you're going to be the best sermon ever. Oh my gosh. Right. All right. So, so, I, so I want us to understand that God is doing something in this season where in this psalm, this word Shem, or this letter of Shem, where everything is flowing around this is about getting us into a place where God is allowed to come into our life and say, where you are is not good enough. I have a plan for you. And if you won't be offended by me saying it, I don't want you to remain here, but I want you to move from here. So many of us would rather someone come along and tell us where we are is just fine. You're doing great. The world has taught us in order not to offend people, we need to tell them you're fine the way you are. You're perfect the way you are. You don't need to do a thing and you are loved the way you are. Yes, you are loved. 
God loves you right where you are, but he doesn't want to leave you where you are. He has somewhere for you to go. And so many people would rather someone say you look beautiful as you are drowning in the mud. I don't need someone to encourage me to eat myself to death. I don't need someone to encourage me to be lazy and sit until my body disappears. I don't need someone to tell me I'm doing just fine. I need somebody to get on my case who loves me and wants to see my future fulfilled. We have to get thicker skin if we're going to advance. I'm telling you right now, there are so many escapists. Ooh, the end times are coming. You are not ready for persecution because you can't even handle a little criticism. You cannot handle criticism. What are you going to do when the world comes for your faith? You can't handle if somebody don't like your new shoes. You are not ready to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I wish someone would just see. You cannot handle going into all the world and preach the gospel because you can't handle the first time someone throws a stone at you. It says that Paul had a stone, stones thrown at him until they thought he was dead. In fact, they were pretty sure he was dead. And after everyone left, it says that Paul just got up, dusted himself off, and kept going. They thought he was dead. That means he looked dead. He was bleeding. He had been beaten with stones. By the way, this was not their first rodeo, stoning people to death. They were kind of good at it. And this guy, it says, as they all left, he just stood up. Paul was resurrected. He came back to life. I think he was dead. You could argue that with me, but I think he was dead. At the very least, he was healed on death's doorstep and resurrected up. And was like, whoop. All right, they're gone. Let's keep going. Paul was unoffendable because he was on a mission to see the world reconciled to Jesus. You cannot be a reconciler when you are unreconciled to everybody that has hurt your feelings. You're called to the ministry of reconciliation, yet you are always offended. That will not serve your life well. You cannot make decisions out of your offense. You cannot make life choices out of hurt and pain. Yes, did they do you wrong? Absolutely. But it's your choice whether you are offended by it. You can use wisdom, you can use discernment, you can make judgments on how best to proceed, but when those judgments are made out of a judgmentally offended spirit, you will always make choices that lead you into a dark place. The enemy wants you to be offended at your brother or sister, because as long as your focus is on him, your focus is not on the enemy. You are busy fighting the wrong battle. Accusation will always cause an offense. So I'm going to tell you a story of the two J's and their coats. A man named John and a man named Joseph. I want to tell you their story of what it looks like to walk through places in your life that you can be offended. Amen? So we're, we're going to look at the story uh, of John. That, let me just real quickly, I'm just going to summarize the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes and it says, amongst men, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist spends some time preaching and preparing for Jesus to come, but he is also a man that is unafraid to offend people. He speaks the truth. He calls out the Pharisees. He calls them viper, broods of vipers. He is unafraid to speak his mind. This man 
doesn't mind offending anyone as long as the truth is preached. But there comes a season in John the Baptist's life where he is thrown in prison. He is thrown in prison because he offends King Herod. He tells King Herod, you should not be married to her. You are sinning against God. And Herod is offended. <laughs> and he throws John the Baptist in prison. And something remarkable happens. See, the same thing happens with Joseph, and we'll read that story in a minute. But with John the Baptist, something remarkable happens. While he's sitting in prison, we remember that Joseph also was thrown into prison, right? So you have two J's who are both thrown into prison, and we're going to discuss the difference between their coats. You have two J's who each wear a special coat. One wears a coat of camel, and one wears a coat of multicolored. And they both wear coats of identity that will be revealed their character later. Now what happens in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6, we read it this way. John is in prison, and he has begun to allow offense to enter his heart. Because he is still sitting in prison and Jesus has not come to his rescue. And because he is sitting there in his prison, unrescued by Jesus, offense is allowed to set in. We see that directly contrasted with the life of Joseph as he sits in prison and is unoffendable. Your offense will decide how long you sit behind the bars. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ... So he's hearing the testimonies. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look somewhere else? To someone else. Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Well, John already heard about that part. That's why he's asking. He heard about the testimonies that Jesus is doing signs and wonders. John already anointed him, heard from heaven that this is my son. He knows he's the Messiah, but he's offended that he hasn't come to rescue. If you are Messiah, why have you not rescued me? Some of you are so busy being offended at God that he has not pulled you out of your situation that you don't realize that offense is what's keeping you behind the bars. And the next phrase is so powerful. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. He knows why John is asking. This isn't working out the way you had planned. You don't like my plan right now. And you are offended at me. When you are offended at God, you rob yourself of the blessings of God. You cannot walk in blessing while you are offended at God because he didn't do it your way. John, the greatest up until that point, born of man, is still walking in offense at this very moment. Now, we don't see anything else John does that's a problem. So this is one moment where he slips backwards in his faith, but it costs him his head. He lost his head because he lost his head. See, what's interesting about this story, if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 37 with me, about Joseph is, I believe, Joseph is the contrasting to this story. Now, I know a lot of times we look at Joseph as the Jesus story, and that is correct, but I'm using it as John's story today of showing you what it looks like. It says, now Jacob dwelled in the land and his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. There are the genealogies of Jacob. When Joseph was 17 years old, he was a youth. He was shepherding the flocks with his brothers, with the sons of his father's wives, 
Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. I want you to catch this. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he was the son of his old age. So he had made him a long sleeve tunic. This is the coat of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak to him in shalom, in peace. I want you to catch this. It doesn't say he lied on his brothers. He says he told his, his dad they weren't doing the right stuff. So they got told on. And it says that his father loved him. And because his father loved him and because they got told on, they decided to be offended and hate Joseph because of their father's love. So much so that they couldn't even speak to him a nice word. That's how much they hated their little brother. And I want you to catch this. It says when he was 17 years old. So I want you, a lot of you know the story that Joseph ends up being sold into slavery. Then he ends up going to Potiphar's house and then he goes into uh, prison for a while and then he is exalted into the palace. And many of us know that story uh, and I'll recap that in a second, but it happened, this is when he is 17 years old. The, the timeline goes something like this. He is 17 years old when he enters the pit. He is 30 years old when he enters the palace. Okay, and that's gonna be relevant here in just a second. Then Joseph dreamed a dream, say dream. He had two dreams, in fact. Then Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brothers and they hated him even more. Oof. Who was the dream from? It was from God. Some people will tell you that Joseph messed up right here by sharing his dream. I actually disagree with that. I think it was necessary to share the dream. I don't think Joseph did, but I'm okay if you think he shouldn't have. He said to them, please listen to this dream I dreamed. There were, there were binding sheaves in the middle of the field. All of a sudden, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Will you truly be king over us? His brother said to him, will you really rule over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his words. I want you to understand even people you call brother, when God begins to speak to you and move in your life, it will offend even those that are called to love you and it will cause division where God is meant to bring your future. So they're upset because his dream implies a ruling. Now that word sheaf is important. It means a bundle of wheat. It means a bundle of wheat. So Joseph had a bundle of wheat that stood upright while his brother's wheat all fell down. Now his brothers are offended at him. But then he dreamed another dream, say another dream, and told it to his brother saying, I have set a dreamed another dream. Suddenly there was a sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. Now this represented his father, his mother, and his 11 brothers. So how many are we talking about here? Third, say it loud. 13, we got 13 bowing down to him. This is significant. He told it to the father as well as his brothers. Then his father, not his brothers, rebuked him and said to him, what's this dream you dreamed? Will we really come your mother and I with your brothers to bow down to the ground to you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the speech in mind. I want to tell you this, is that what we read here is accurate, that it took 13 years from the time that Joseph had these dreams until the age of 30. 13 years until these dreams were fulfilled. 13 bowing down to him 13. 
15 years later, it took Joseph one year for every one of these to come to pass for him to learn and mature and grow into the leader that God had called him to be, to walk through each one of his brothers, his mother, and his father to make sure that there was no offense in his heart so that he could provide for his family. The provision of God prepared for Joseph for his family took him 13 years to perfect. See, and what's interesting about this is that we see that the first, dream of, uh, the first two dreams of Joseph having sheaves of grain. The other sheaves fall, but only Joseph's remain upright. See, God was preparing provision for the promised people through Joseph, but his brothers were already offendable. It wasn't that they were bowing down to him. It was that their sheaves were falling. There was a famine coming, but they couldn't see past their own offense that their little brother might rule over them, might have a higher position or a standard than them. The very thing that offended the brothers was to be their very salvation. When Joseph finally rose to power with, with Pharaoh, he was able to give his family the grain because his grain had risen up. 13 years to bring a word into season that caused destruction in the beginning. There are some of you that God has given a word that when you shared it, it caused disunity and you walked away from that word because it came with pain. And you are missing the promise that God has laid for you. If God said it, then walk through it. See, Here's what's interesting is that the promise of Messiah was prophesied through Judah. It was to always come through Judah, his brother. But he couldn't handle the idea of his little brother above him. There are people in your life that will accelerate and pass you in order to provide for you in your promise. Your offense can derail your destiny, not theirs. Joseph walked without offense and he got to his destiny. Let me just say it this way. Joseph did not allow offense to enter so his future must be realigned. If his brothers would have believed him, Pharaoh would have heard about the boy another way. Pharaoh would have learned about this boy who has prophetic dreams another way. It would have still come to pass. We say he needed to go to the pit to have it come to pass. But I believe someone would have said, we've heard about a boy in Canaan. And he has dreams and knows their interpretation. We should call him. It would have happened another way. But because Joseph refused to be unoffendable, if you read the story of Joseph, it's one of the longest set of chapters in Genesis. You see that nowhere, not once, never did Joseph doubt or become offended. He stayed faithful and obedient and trusting of God. He didn't have a Bible to read. He didn't have his favorite promise scriptures written down so he could repeat them every day. He didn't have the story of his forefathers to lead him. He was one of them. He might have had forefathers before that. That's all there was. But yet he stayed obedient and faithful. We got the whole word to encourage us. We know all of God's heart. 
We know who he is in his character. Joseph was just at the beginning of understanding who he was, but he stayed faithful and obedient in the cause, never became offended, and was able to walk into his destiny. He's, I want you to get this. They would have heard about the boy's dream another way. He started out with his own dreams. The beginning of Joseph's ministry was he started out with his own dreams, but ended up serving another man's dreams. It was him humbling himself and serving another man's dreams without pride that finally led him to fulfilling his own dreams. It was his own dreams serving under a man that brought that dream to fulfillment. His brother's wheat was gone and the only wheat that Pharaoh's dream provided was his. So you see, if you want to bring your dreams to fulfillment, it is necessary for you sometimes to get underneath somebody else and help them fulfill their dreams and your dream will be fulfilled in the process. Your humility will bring about your destiny. Offense wants to keep you from walking with people who can empower your dreams. God was rooting out Joseph's pride and his ability to be offended. See, he went from the pit to the palace, whereas John went from the palace to the pit, to the prison. John offended the palace, so he remained in prison. Joseph remained unoffended in prison, so he was elevated to the palace. So what happens is this, is that many times what we do is even though God has spoken destiny over our lives and told us who we are and spoken to us and given us dreams and given us a plan, John received his future. He knew the plan on his life. He was prophesied over who he was. He knew clearly who he was and he knew who Jesus was. And we, instead of putting on the coat of many colors, the coat of the one who cries in the wilderness, instead of the coat of the identity that God has placed on us, we put on a cloak of offense. We put on a cloak that hides our identity because we are offended and we just want something to shield us from the onslaught of the enemy's words against us. So here are some signs that you are carrying a coat of offense. You have strained relationships. The Bible says a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Proverbs 18, 19. The, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a castle. I want you to remember that. Another sign that you are walking in offense is that you have a resistance to authority. So you have strained relationships and you have a resistance to authority. Those offended will not respond to the leadership in the church. They resist. The resistance may not be full-blown rebellion but it's felt at sensitive times. Counsel is rejected, ideas are ignored, and decisions are overturned. You constantly do not trust the people above you in church, in business, in life, in family. There's a couple of scriptures for that. I won't go through them. I'm going to move quickly. You refuse to share what is bothering you to the person directly. You think about it. You dwell with it, but you never share it with the person. If you do not go to that person and share it with him, you are carrying a spirit of offense. Another one is you share your hurt with other people 
who are not mentoring you into wholeness. You share your hurt with other people who are not mentoring you into wholeness. What I mean by that is there is a difference between gossip, slander, and, and mentorship. When you go to your mentor and you're saying, hey, this hurt my feelings, what do you think? And you get wise counsel back to help you into wholeness, that is very different than gossip. But when you are sharing that word, sharing that offense with somebody else, that their primary focus is not to help you get over it and fix it and be reconciled, that's when you fall into gossip. When someone comes to me and says, I need some help getting over some offense that I have with my dad, with my brother, with my friend, I can help them to overcome that offense. But if they're just telling it to me because they just need to vent. Vent is another word for offense. I just upset like 50 women just now, right there. I just need you to listen to me. I just need you to listen to me. I love you. I know men and women are different. I know sometimes you just need to vent and be heard. But if nobody ever tells you that you're walking in a fence, then you will walk around with a nail in your head and be grateful that somebody cares that it hurts. You want the nail out, don't you? Guys, you should be jealous, right? You should be slightly offended that I can say things like that and you can't. I have the best job in the world. I get to get up here, tell women where they're doing it wrong. They cry and thank me. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> it's literally the only place you could do this. <laughs> and then I can say that and they kind of laugh, right? I, yeah, that's needed. Right? None of them got mad at me just now. Like, I don't know how that's possible. But you see, you see, you guys are growing. You're getting it. Husbands, do not try this later. It will not work out well. I know better. <laughs> Only in this position. Okay, and lastly, unexplained illnesses will start to show up in your body. You just say this. Nobody wants to talk about this. Offense will always lead to illness. Anger will lead to arthritis. If you have arthritis, it doesn't mean you're angry. But if you're angry, it can lead to arthritis. So everyone's in here like, oh. But I've seen it a ton of times. I really have. People are like, I don't know why, but I've developed arthritis in my hands in particular. And you talk to them, you find out that they're angry enough at somebody, they want to punch them in the face. And so their, their mental state is they are always in a, in a state of bawling their fists ready to punch. And their hands are wounded. Their hands develop arthritis because of the tension and the fist of war in their hands. And there's a lot of the ways that emotions will manifest into your body. That's scientifically proven, by the way, not just the Bible. Science says that 80% of illness is from a psychological issue with a mental state that brings that illness on. It will break your body down faster than donuts. I just offended at least one person. You're like, I wonder why this church doesn't serve donuts. Go nuts. You'll go nuts with donuts. Okay, so illnesses will show up in your body. So sometimes you're like, I don't know why. And you'll go to the doctor and the doctors have no reason or explanation for where they started. Yeah, they can be caused by a bad diet, but they can also be caused by a bad thought process. 
by a spirit of offense that's landed on you. The enemy wants to destroy you and he will bring in and partner with a spirit of death. When offense has had its work in you, the spirit of death has an easy time finishing the job. So here's some ways that you can protect yourself from offense. You ready? You want to protect yourself from offense. And then I'm going to wrap it up here pretty soon. But let your heart be in awe of God. We're going to go back to Psalms 119 in order to walk without a spirit of offense in our hearts. We're going to be in awe of God's word. See, Joseph was more in awe of God than he was his brothers, the pit, slavery, till he was raised up. He understood that he needed to stay right with God. That when, when Potiphar's wife came after him and came after him, he was more concerned with being righteous with God and what God would do than he was with what Potiphar would do. He was more in fear of God than fear of man. And that's important. It led him to his destiny where two dreams got him in the pit and two dreams got him into the palace. It was two dreams that brought him into destruction and it was two dreams of God that brought him into his destiny. It is the very thing sometimes that gets you in a place where you are offendable that will raise you up out of it. The question is, is whose eyes are you going to be on when that happens? Are you going to be more afraid of your brothers and their reaction to what God is saying or are you going to be more in awe of God? The word awe of God is not like, oh, Aww. Some of you saw my comment on Caleb's little post where he was doing martial arts and he was finding his peace and he was praying that in the peace I shall hear God's voice. Okay? And some of you are like, oh, that is not the all the Bible is talking about. The word all here where he says, I'm in awe of God's word in Psalms 119 means a fear or trembling. To be terrified. It means that David had a right understanding that this God is so big, so powerful, so mighty, that I don't want to be on the wrong side of him. And so he had healthy fear in contrast and in alignment with a healthy love. Understand that. It's a holy fear and a trembling for God. And some of you, some of you, if that doesn't make any sense to you, you need to get in that place where you both love God and understand it. Some of you understand that. I think, you know, when, I, when my kids were little, sometimes they'd be like, man, dad's mad. No, I just wanted them to have a healthy fear when they would do something and I would roar. My favorite thing is in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia. When they say, oh, I've been around Aslam. He loves so well, right? The lion loves so well. And they say he's gentle. They were like, ooh. He's safe. And they said he is anything but safe. He is dangerous. And they understood this big lion was dangerous, but they were safe in his love. And they had a healthy understanding that we walk with the biggest and the baddest. That fear, that understanding of the bigness of God will help you in times where you want to be offended, where you want to walk. The, this word shen, this word of God here in this concept is all about not being offended. Psalms 119 is how to walk out of offense lest it brings the shod of Shaddai, the destruction in your life. Let your heart be in awe of God's word. Holy fear and trembling. The heart is easily swayed by hurt and emotion. It's this reverence that keeps offense out. Two, 
we're going through Psalms 119. I'm going verse by verse on this to walk through what it says there, if you remember what we read, or you can turn back there. Then he says to rejoice over his word. You need to rejoice over his word. Learn to enjoy the word with joy. Three, love is law. The two great commandments, love God and love others. Be in love with being in love. Four, praise him more than you complain. David said he worshiped him seven days. He understood if I praise him more than I complain, it's going to be really hard for me to walk in offense because I'm going to walk in a godly mindset. Whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, think on these things. Five, trust him and his plan. This is all straight out of Psalms 119. Six, never lose hope. Seven, I'll act on his commandments, not just love them. Psalms 119, he takes action. I'll obey his commands. I'll act on his commands, not just love his commands. Eight, I store up the good that you've done. I dwell on the testimonies rather than the hurtful moments. Whatever is in my thoughts is what I will produce. The grain of your life, the storage container of your life will either be filled with God's goodness grain, the grain of goodness, or offense, depending on what you think about. That's why it says that I love his testimonies and they come out of my mouth. Nine, I walk in obedience. Rebellion is a breeding ground for offense, but obedience brings alignment to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. It unlocks it. And number 10, the 10 ways to get out of offense is I am fully surrendered for all my ways are before you. I am fully surrendered. If you walk through Psalms 119, 161 through 168, you will see those 10 ways in every single line. I want you to understand why this is so powerful, is that there needs to be a forgiveness in you if you're walking in offense. I want you to understand what offense does. I read you in Psalms where it says that a brother offended is harder to win back and contention will build a prison. I want you to understand that being offended is a destruction to your life. That every time you decide that my brother is not for me, they are against me. Every single time you decide to gossip instead of pray. Every time you decide to hide it in your heart and think on those thoughts of destruction. Every time that you play a scenario in your mind of how they don't really love you and don't really care about you. Every time you feel it's necessary to let someone know because you're just trying to keep them safe from that person. Every time you just assume the motivations of someone's heart and walk in judgment towards them. Every single time you decide to not take what hurt you to that person directly, you walk in offense. 
And what you end up doing is creating a wall between you and that person. You end up creating a wall between you and God where you can no longer see the promise of God for your life because you think you are safe in a strong tower when really you have been made a prisoner in what the enemy has done to stop you from walking into your purpose and your plan. The word of God says that you that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And the problem is, is that you think the enemy has built the gate and you don't realize that you're the one that put it together for him. You assembled the gate that the enemy is using to keep you bound up. And there has to be a moment where you begin to break down the walls of offense that have been built against you and decide that I am unoffendable. I am not upset at you. I refuse to be hurt. I refuse to be offended. I refuse to be separated and disunified with the body of Christ. I will not build a wall between you, but I will come to you and say, hey, what you said hurt. Tell me how I've got it wrong. Tell me how we can be reconciled so that we don't walk in disunity and I don't stay locked away from the place that God has called me to. Offense will always build a fence that will keep you in bondage, locked away from everything God has for you. Bow your heads. Father God, would you just break off this spirit of offense that we walk in? Father God, would you just break every chain would you break every shackle that the enemy meant? Would you break down every gate? And the gates of hell shall not prevail. So Father God, we just begin to release every panel. Every single panel that we have built up. Every gossip. Every slander. Every hurt. Every pain. Every assumption. Every contention that we have with our brothers. There are some of you in this room that there are other people in this room that you need to go and say to them, I'm sorry for being offended, but they hurt me. So what? You're the only one putting a wall between you and your destiny. I'm sorry for taking offense and not coming to you. Most of the time, those, fences, those offenses are misunderstandings. The majority of the time, there are not people in this church, certainly not leaders, that their intention is to hurt you, to break you down. We don't have witches in our midst in here. And so if you are offended with someone in this church, it is not the plan of God for your life. And it is stopping you from living out the fruit of your life. It will keep you from walking into the palace Joseph had to be unoffendable so when his brothers finally came before him and their wheat was down, Joseph could hand him the pile they had prepared. And instead of throwing it in his, their face and saying, see, I told you one day your sheaves would bow to mine. Instead, he showed his brothers love and he overcame his offense with love. Love, love. Where is your love in your offense? If you have ceased to love that person you are offended, then you're offended. You're an offense. You have ceased to love them. So I want you right now, I want every head bowed because I, I, I want you to be able to be honest and just say, I have harbored offenses.
we want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom. Shalom.